0: This is Tiffany Bovo. Welcome to the What's Next podcast, where I have the pleasure of welcoming Dory Clark today. Dory Clark is the author of Entrepreneurial You, Reinventing You, and Standing Out, which was named number one leadership book in 2015 by Inc. Magazine. A former presidential campaign spokeswoman. She teaches at Duke and writes frequently for the Harvard Business Review. I've been following Dory for years and I couldn't be more thrilled to welcome her today. So welcome Dory to what's next.
1: Hey Tiffany, great to be speaking with you.
0: Well, it's just fun to have you on because I've, you know, read your books and followed you for some time, and I and I'm looking forward to this conversation. But before we dig in, I always start with something I call bullish and bearish which my listeners have come to really love. It's just three quick questions. Bullish, you're really for it. Bearish, you're against it. And it's just a way to kind of get the guests ready for the conversation. You you ready for this? Yes. All right. Not painful. And although you were a presidential campaign spokeswoman, I didn't pick a political one. I wanted to, but I did not. But maybe we'll get into that. Yes. (laughs) I was totally, totally wanted to. All right. So bullish and bearish. First one. AI will be able to replicate a Grammy-winning jazz
1: album. Bullish. Oh, not what I expected you to say. Jeez. I, I think AI will be able to do pretty much everything.
0: <laughs> wow. So, you know, there's a little backstory that you've actually been involved with a multiple Grammy-winning jazz album. That's why I picked that. But question yes. people might be like, "What? Why? I don't understand." But that's why. So I, I may want to ask you more about that. All right, the next one is a little fun. Sales is a harder job
1: than marketing. Ooh, I think yes. I'll say bullish. I'm bullish on that. Oh. Also, not what I
0: expected, Dory. You are two for two on me. I thought for sure, as a marketer, that oh, oh man, I'm way off today. Clearly,
1: all right. I mean, I, mean, I can I can explicate uh, more of these uh, of these things right now if you'd like, or uh, or we can or we can do it later, Tiffany. Up to you. Let's oh, hold, let's hold that because that's okay. a good one. That's not what I expected. All
0: right. The next one is people can be brands and create brands just like companies. Sure, bullish, three for three. Three for three. I didn't get a bearish out of you. All right. So I'm going to dig in, I guess, and start with the sales and marketing one because uh, I often have this, you know, career debate. It's been 25 years where I kind of call myself a recovering seller. I sort of bleed sales blood and I had to learn how to be a marketer. And customer service, et cetera. And, and it, whenever, you know, you get sales and marketing in the room, depending on what industry and what size company, et cetera, uh, it's always this love-hate relationship, kind of, you know, water and oil. But I'm, I'm really curious as someone who watches and advises sort of marketing and brand that you would agree that sales is harder. And I know that harder is in air quotes, because that could mean all kinds of things. But talk me through why you answered that bullish.
1: Yeah. So I advise a lot of people in my executive coaching and, you know, in the, in the books that I write, like Entrepreneurial You, who are starting their own businesses and, uh, you know, consulting or, or coaching or, or things like that. And it's, it's interesting because, of course, there's um, this, you know, sort of microcosm where you have to begin from the ground up and, and create a going concern. And certainly at the macro level, this is what companies have to do as well. Now we both we know that both marketing and sales are critically important. You have to have both of them, but sales is something. Um, as I have kind of created a a formula around how to ad- how to advise the people that I coach around it. What I tell them is this. In the early days of your business, you have to over-index on sales because it is about the hand-to-hand combat of getting a revenue stream and having enough cash flow to keep your business going. And it's only then, once the wheels are turning and you have validated that you have something in the marketplace, that you can begin to lift your head up and have more of a long-term orientation, which fundamentally is what marketing is about. Marketing is about how do you make the sale a year from now, not how do you make the sale tomorrow, and you know sales is is much more uh, focused on the here and now, and so at different stages in your business you have to have both. But what I have what I have often seen uh, holding many people back, especially people who are highly talented. Uh, you know, educated, successful professionals who want to start their own businesses, and this is, you know, often a demographic that I that I work with. You know, people who are uh, either high level executives looking to become consultants, or uh, people who maybe already are doing it but just want to up level it. The challenge is oftentimes that sales involves a level of putting yourself out there and risking direct rejection in a way that many smart people just cannot countenance. And I think it is emotionally harder for people. Marketing is a hard discipline and it involves uh, a lot of strategy and it involves, you know, really being good at, at what you do. But if you are rejected, quote unquote, it's usually a lot less direct. It's, um, it's you know somebody didn't take your article or maybe nobody retweeted your article or something like that as compared to a person face-to-face saying no and i think that the emotional fortitude that is required for sales is something that is that is probably much harder than what is necessary in marketing
0: well i i liked what you said about uh marketing being more of a long-term view because i feel like that's actually shifted a little bit right i think it's true that marketing uh, absolutely has to have the long-term, but with all the digital marketing advancements we've had in MarTech in the last, let's just say five years, right? Which is, it used to be you know 200 products or 150 products, and now it's 8,000 products sort of tackling that MarTech stack and trying to improve marketing that I feel like marketing now actually has to balance both short and long-term, where salespeople. Yes, it's more short term if you're selling kind of a commodity. I'm I'm oversimplifying, right? But a commodity product. But you may have very long term, big relationship sales that go over time. There's always the outliers in the comments both you and I are making. But do you think marketing now has more of this challenge between this kind of short term, you know, lead generation um, can't even be, you know, driving sales through through e-commerce online, uh, all of that, which feels a lot more salesy,
1: right? Short term. Right. Yeah. I mean, certainly you're right. The, the, the lines are blurring and especially when you're dealing with, um, some of the, the more, um, technical aspects, you know, online, uh, online marketing efforts, they're, they're linked in much more tightly to sales. Um, but, but yeah, in, in sort of a, a, you know, a, a, Uh, template, you could say, the sort of archetypal thing. Um, When I, when I am envisioning marketing, it is kind of the, the slow burn, like a lot of the activities that I talk about with my clients uh, are around the concepts of how do you become a recognized expert in your field? You know, that was the topic of my book, Stand Out. And it's, that's never something that, that, happens overnight. Um, if you are establishing an expert reputation as an individual or a strategy of, of real preeminence in your industry as a, as a company, um, certainly there's there's lots of great things that you can do to make an immediate mark. But, um, but it is generally a strategy that plays itself out over a period of time. Um, thus, I think the The fundamentally longer term orientation of marketing, but is technology changing it like everything? Absolutely.
0: Right, right. Well, you know, another part of marketing is really around this whole brand, which is, you know, one of the other sort of bullish and bearish questions I had on people can be brands just like companies. And I know that you spend a lot of time helping people understand, uh, you know, and I say people could be, you know, entire teams or individuals. Um, and, and these are my words, but almost becoming more self-aware of what their unique strengths are in order to double down on those. To begin to think about how do I create, uh, you know, more of a personal brand internally. Like people go, "Oh, we need this to be done." Oh, she or he is exactly that person, right? Because your brand starts to associate with that kind of uh, insight or understanding. And so, where would you advise? individuals to start on this journey of, you know what, I actually want to build my brand up internally for being known for something or even externally and becoming more of a thought leader. What's, what's sort of that journey you would advise people to go on?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's an important question. Uh, fundamentally, I've, I've done as you indicated, a lot of research into this question, you know, how do you really get known for your expertise, um, either inside your company or inside your industry? And what I discovered, and I I wrote about this in Standout, I've written about it for the Harvard Business Review, is that fundamentally, there are three key elements of uh, becoming a recognized expert. And they are content creation, social proof, and your network and i'll explain that really briefly Um, but the three really work together in a powerful way Um, content creation is is basically you know just as it as the name implies you have to somehow, in some format, be sharing your ideas. Now, it could be something as low key as being the person who speaks up in meetings or doing a lunch and learn for your colleagues, or it could be something uh, you know slightly more elaborate, like speaking and presenting at a conference or writing an article for an industry uh, newsletter or your company, uh, your you know your company intranet or something like that. But the bottom line is that if you don't share your ideas, no one will know that you have ideas much less that they're good ideas so you have to get that out there Um, number two is social proof which basically is is just a shorthand and it's a term used by psychologists for your credibility why is it that you're credible you know what why should people listen to you and so there's a lot of levers that you can move to try to help with that whether it's um Becoming the head of a professional association in your town, maybe it's volunteering to be the chair of a certain committee. Maybe it is um, working on, you know, working with a key client, or you know, having having some other thing. Maybe your team uh, got the, you know, by far the best results of any team in the company. You know, whatever it is, but it gives you the credibility so that people say, "Oh, I, sh- I should be listening to her." And then finally, it's your network because, of course, and if you're doing these other pieces, that's great. But if you're doing them in isolation, it doesn't really do a lot of good. You need a network of people who you know so that you can tap into the best ideas, but also so that they know you and can become an ambassador to start spreading the word about what you're doing. If you have those three pieces in place, that's really what enables you to to get known and get recognized.
0: Yeah. And I'd say this is there's a couple of questions I get fairly frequently, and this is one of them. How do you sort of, you know, balance a brand when you work in a big company? So, you know, your own brand, sort of what you want to be known for, not just internally, but externally, like, how do you balance that? That's one big question I get. A- another one is this sort of thought leadership title uh, or thought leader title. And, and uh, you know, I went, and I'm sure you know Sally Hogshead, and, and it was this whole, like, what are your strengths, like, so that you could learn sort of what you were going to pivot into and uh, one of the pieces of advice she gave was listen to what people say about you and that sort of shapes like where you have these strengths that you may not be aware of. And so when people started saying, hey, I think she's really a thought leader or she's coming up with unique content, then I felt like I had that social proof, right? That, okay. You know, if I just call myself that, that's a little bit different. But if people are starting to say that and agree with it, um, then I feel a lot more comfortable uh, having people say it. And so that's this one question I get often: is I want to become viewed more as a thought leader, or I want to, you know, I want to be known for these certain things. And what would you advise someone to say? What should I be known for? How do I even identify what? You know i'm going to use those three things like what am i going to create content about and and what network would i reach out to like what's that first step if those are the three
1: yeah, so you you've, you've put put your finger on a few important things. Um, the first one is that I the number one piece of advice that I have around this is that you shouldn't you should never call yourself a thought leader because <laughs> that sounds awfully pretentious. Right. It's you, you, you wait you wait for other people to call you a thought leader yes. and then yes. and then you can just graciously accept the compliment. <laughs> but that no, that nonetheless does not mean that we should not aspire toward thought leadership i think it's a very worthy thing to aspire toward so how how do you figure out what to um what to talk about you know the early in the earliest stages the the life hack that i have is if you don't know what to write about or what to talk about just interview other people that you admire that's it because if presumably you are interested in them for a reason, you know, let's say you really like digital marketing or you really like sales or you really are interested in graphic design or whatever your thing is, great, you have you have a general thing you like, you know you like it, you're just not sure what your point of view is or what your unique contribution is, that's fine. You don't have to know it right away. If you start doing interviews where you are simply highlighting the work of people that you admire... Number one, you are going to learn a heck of a lot more about what the conversations are that are going on in your industry so you can be more informed. Number two, you're going to be building your network and doing it from a place of generosity because their first encounter with you is that, you know, hey, can I help highlight your ideas? And number three, after interviewing enough people you are going to begin organically to form your own opinions about oh well i agree with this but i don't really agree with that and it enables you to get your point of view so don't beat yourself up if you don't have one already you can actually get there over time uh through talking to other people
0: yeah and what you said there and and i'm just gonna you know pile on is that was the genesis of this podcast what's next it was I get this opportunity to meet really interesting people like Dory Clark, and selfishly I got these wonderful conversations. I'm like, well, how, what if I share them? And so initially it was this thought of I'm going to share these op- these conversations I have because I'm guessing other people would want to have these similar conversations with people like this. But what I the what I got out of it was I've learned a ton. Like it's expanded my understanding around topics that I'm interested in. Uh, and so I hear myself, you know, parroting or quoting people who are on the podcast or things that I've learned uh, in ways I did not expect. And so it was really this, it forces me to listen because I'm. it's a podcast. So it forces me to listen. And then it allows me to ask a question like I don't understand or I have a different view, and so I, I completely agree with reaching out to a network uh, and having those conversations. But it really will teach you to have to listen, because if you're going to ask, you have to be willing to hear, right? Totally.
1: Yeah, that's great.
0: And and I think that that self awareness is is a big thing, and so uh, hopefully uh, that it it takes away that sort of mystery process of becoming quote unquote a thought leader is you have to find whatever that is. And it may be even in your personal life, right? You know, you want to be known as the greatest gardener in your neighborhood. Like whatever it is, uh, you know, that's but you have to become this kind of student of your profession, whatever, you know, whatever that profession may be. But along the way, you're gonna to have to develop what you call this kind of breakthrough idea. And so how would you recommend somebody saying, you know, yes, they've started going, yes, I wanna start really upskilling and up-leveling my thinking and expand my horizon and uh, become more of a contributor around content and maybe ultimately be viewed as a thought leader. But I think first you have to kind of come up with this breakthrough idea.
1: Right. And, you know, I I think breakthrough idea, I mean, when we think about people that perhaps we admire in whatever our field is, you know, if it's the business field, maybe, um, you know, maybe it's somebody like, uh, you know, like Robert Cialdini, who is known as the, the master of influence and persuasion, or, you know, maybe it's somebody like Adam Grant, who, you know, wrote his well-known book, Give and Take. Uh, and we think, oh, you know, it's just so, so singular, that's so special. I, I couldn't come up with that. I mean, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who have a lot of scripts like that running around in their heads. But ultimately, these, these ideas were not you know, like Archimedes in in the bathtub. It was it was not some muse coming down from the heavens and whispering in people's ears. I mean, I talked in my book stand out. I interviewed Robert Cialdini about how he came to develop his his ideas. And one of the most noteworthy things that he did, where he really started to get a lot of attention, was that up until his time, uh, and in fact, continuing now, most of psychology research that's done at the universities uh, is done in a controlled lab setting. And so they come up with some kind of a proxy, like, oh, well, let's see, how do we do an experiment about influence and persuasion? Well, let's take a bunch of college students in a lab, and we'll do an experiment where we do this to them, and then we'll extrapolate it out to the real world. And you know, so Robert Cialdini, I'm interviewing him about well, like you know how did you start to see things a different way? because what he got known for was doing what are essentially psychology field experiments, experiments in the wild such that you could you could see oh this really is how it is in the world. This isn't just something in a lab that you know you kind you kind of guess um, this this really works And the way that, that he told me it came about, was that for years he was teaching the sort of standard way, you know, he'd teach all this stuff and like, okay, so we do this in a lab. And year after year, students would just raise their hand and say, well, how do we know that it works outside the lab? And he would just tell them, well, we have to trust, you know, human nature is the same. If you're in a lab, if you're not in a lab, we just have to trust that it, that it works. But eventually he realized that was a stupid answer. You know, like, how, you know, like, why should you have to trust the reason that people hadn't done field experiments in psychology where they were testing in real world conditions was that just that it was hard. It was hard because you had to get the the permission of the university and you had to get the permission of the town. And sometimes you had to get the permission of the town police to make sure people were aware of things. But he finally decided to do it. And in his first very famous experiment that he wrote up, um, he partnered with a local United Way to determine um, what script would actually, would actually make a difference in terms of getting more donations. And they ran this experiment Going door to door, and he was able to get really fascinating results. Um, that if you added the phrase, even even just a penny, and you know anything helps, they were able to dramatically increase the donations that they received. And it was a, a very valid and legitimate response. But he he discovered that what no one had done, people people didn't even think to do it anymore. You know the, the you know the idea of psychology field experiments, because everyone's just like oh well that's not how we do it but what he realized was it wasn't impossible and it wasn't it wasn't even uh, you know that it was a bad idea it was just that it was harder he said it took about three times as long to pull together this experiment as compared to what a similar experiment would have been if he had concocted one in the lab but it was worth it because he got better results and most people are, are not necessarily willing to make that extra effort but the answer had been there all the time for anyone who was willing to to explore it. It was just that he was the one that did.
0: Yeah, and it, it's interesting because I, I have had uh, Martin Lindstrom on the podcast as well. And his book, Small Data, was about this whole get in the field, like get out there, and watch for consumer packaged good companies specifically how people actually use the products that were being sold, and what could he learn from how people were using it. So something like laundry detergent being picked up, and usually, uh, you know, in, and this is in his writing, right? That it's it's a it's a mom who potentially has a you know kid on her hip, right? Another kid screaming, and she's trying to pick something up. And wouldn't it be easier if you didn't have to pick it up to pour it? And you could just push on it, and it would come out of the spout, and then. So it was partially to not have to pick it up, and another part of it was dripping down the side of the container and leaving a mess on the counter. And that, but he saw that real life, that then went back and said, you know, this may work from a shipping and packaging and shelf perspective. You know, from from your internal view, but not so much from the customer in. And so they made those changes, uh, or even something of you know where kids put uh, magnets on refrigerators. If they're low on the refrigerators, he noticed the kids played with the magnets. If they were high on the refrigerators, it was more like, hey, the family has gone here or we aspire to go here. And so when he started seeing in certain countries that the magnets were all low, he realized that they didn't have access to a lot of toys. So why don't we create a toy company in that particular market? Boom. you know. So I think that people miss the little small data like if you want to know what your customers want, talk to your customers. <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, right.
0: And, and even your comments about building a brand, uh, you know, and all the things of building a breakthrough idea, it's uh, synthesizing lots of conversations that you have to figure out what's the commonality amongst them. Right.
1: Yeah, precisely. It's, it's not, it's not that it requires special education or, you know, a special, IQ or, or even special knowledge to necessarily come up with a breakthrough idea, you can be a great synthesizer and come up with, with things by, by mashing together different combinations or just being the person who sees something and says, well, this is a really good idea. Why aren't more people doing this? Why aren't more people talking about this? And you can, you can make it your own.
0: Well, so, you know, I'd like to round all this out because we've talked, you know, about sort of self-awareness and strengths and building sort of your own thinking style. And But what about for those listening that are are aspiring to be a leader, you know, and they're amongst a team now and they want to start to maybe even separate themselves, right, with some of this more forward thinking. And they're concerned with doing that and stepping on toes or not being perceived as being... Uh, you know, credible or whatever the complaint may be. But, you know, now I'm part of a team, I'm kind of, you know, I I had to to use the phrase, I'm sort of, I'm in middle management and I'm looking to move up or I'm not in management yet. And I'm looking to move up. What would you advise, what do you advise people today based on many of the things we've talked about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So if somebody is looking to advance, if they're looking to sort of position themselves successfully, there's a a few things that they should be thinking about. Uh, The first one is actually just at a very basic informational level, understanding who is responsible for promotions in your organization and at your level. Um, sometimes it's self-evident. Sometimes, you know, oh, well, it's your boss or your boss's boss or whatever. But sometimes there are actually committees of people. And sometimes there are unofficial advisors and power centers that people listen to that uh, actually ha- have undue weight that that might go Unnoticed, you know the sort of proverbial secretaries of the world or the the trusted advisors of people, and you know this is this is not to say that you have to have some elaborate Machiavellian strategy to manipulate them or suck up to them at all. But um, but but what's what's important here is by understanding how the power dynamics seem to really work in your organization, you need to at least at a minimum make sure that all of these people number one know who you are. And number two, hopefully that you have a favorable connection with them, because you are are going to. I mean, you should be nice to everybody, but but it's important to to make sure that the people who need to know who you are actually do know who you are. So that that would be step number one. And then step number two is to really understand the. The difference between being an individual contributor and being a manager, or you know, for that matter, being a middle manager versus being a, a senior manager. You know, what what is different and distinct about those roles? And oftentimes, it comes down to things like being perceived as having a higher level strategic vision, that you are a person who is not just doing your niche uh, or not just aware of your immediate surroundings, but you are aware of the broader business circumstances. You're somebody who can take the long view for the benefit of the team and the benefit of the company. And so look for ways to begin to show that. You know, of course, it's a little bit of a catch-22 because, you know, if you haven't managed people, well, how can you prove you can manage people? Or if you haven't, you know, been uh, a vice president, how can you prove that you're capable of doing it? but one of the ways that you can or at least can can try to approximate it is by really taking an interest in the workings of the business you know, meet with people outside your department learn about other things that are happening in your company and you know start reading the news articles and look for ways to demonstrate your interest in strategy. If there are cross-functional teams that you can be a part of, anything related to, you know, sort of future planning or, you know, strategic visioning, volunteer to be a part of that, volunteer to lead it if they'll let you. These are the ways that you can show that this is the area that you want to play in.
0: Yeah. And that's a great piece of advice because uh, when I had interviewed Seth Godin, actually, and and I said, you know, there's, I often get asked, you know, hey, I want to sort of learn more about marketing. It was very specific. The question was very specific. I gave him and he goes, look, my answer to anybody who wants to be better at marketing is market. (laughs) Like, market Girl Scout cookies, market your PTA, market your club or association, like handle the newsletter, like start to market. So your advice around just offer up to be the person that leads a project or uh, takes on a little bit more work is a great way for you to learn without that kind of risk of saying, you know, I can do it, that they know that, hey, it's a stretch for this person, but it's a great way to get hands-on experience. There's just no way to fake it when you know that you've done something. If you haven't done it, you, you just need to do it and and be willing to sort of fail and learn and and iterate and move on, especially for entrepreneurs.
1: Absolutely, yes.
0: Well, excellent. Yeah, you know, this has been so much fun, Dory. Thank you so much for spending time with us today on the What's Next podcast. And so I, I've started to end now with asking a couple of last questions. One is if you could have. Dinner with anybody alive or dead to have an interesting conversation with? Who would it be?
1: That's great. Uh, the my my dinner companion of choice um, would would probably be Ben Franklin. Uh, he's just such a Renaissance man. He li- he literally did everything. I mean, you know, ambassador to France. Um, you, you know, um, capturing capturing lightning, newspaperman. Uh, creator of, uh, of homilies and, uh, and, and sayings that we still use today. Uh, he, he, he had his hands in just about everything.
0: Well, that's a good one. And then the next one is sort of what's next for you. You know, how can people keep in touch with your work and and sort of what's next, uh, for Dory Clark in 2019?
1: Oh, thank you. Well, if people are interested in, uh, in, diving further into the oove I have uh, more than 500 free articles that I've written for places like Forbes and Entrepreneur and the Harvard Business Review available on my site uh, which is doryclark.com and if folks are interested in getting my 42 uh, page standout self-assessment workbook which actually helps you think through questions of how you can stand out in your company or in your industry uh, folks can get it for free at doryclark.com slash join J-O-I-N. Those are a couple of good ways. And in terms of what's next, I am really doubling down this year, Tiffany, on uh, online courses and online learning in particular, because I've found that that's a great way. uh, You know, certainly I I still do coaching and consulting, but uh, online courses are a great way that you can really scale what you do and reach more people. So I uh, am spending a good deal of time on that.
0: Well, that's excellent. Well, again, Dory, thank you so much for making time for us. I know that our our listeners will enjoy it. And thank you again for being with us.
1: Great to talk to you. Thank you so much.
0: So great to have Dory Clark on the What's Next podcast today. It was awesome for me to dig into the questions around building personal and professional brands. It is really literally one of the top five questions I get all the time when I'm out on the road and I meet people or uh talk to them on the phone it's it's they're trying to up level their career and find their path of being able to make a broader difference both internally within their company as well as maybe even in their communities and So I think there was some fantastic advice specifically around those three things of content creation, social proof, and your network. There is no stronger attribute to a successful career, in my opinion, than the strength of your network. So think about that. Think about who's in your network. Who can you ask? Who can you talk to? Who can champion your ideas? And that's the place for you to double down and build out on your unique strengths. Once again, thank you for listening to the What's Next podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, share with your friends. Please leave some feedback and I'll look forward to having you join me again next time.